listening to the Red Seat Podcast. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. It's gone. It's in the bullpen. This game is tied. This game is tied. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. David Ortiz. Featuring Keaton DeRocher and Bob Osgood. Sale winds. He fires. Swing and a miss. Right play. It's over. The Red Sox have won the world championship. Welcome back to the Red Sea Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined by Keaton DeRocher and Bob Osgood of Over the Monster for episode 288 of the show. Uh, I just got back from vacation, guys, so I'm a little bit rusty uh, here. Not as rusty as the Royals, former Royals coach, but um, how are you gentlemen doing? I'm having trouble believing that you had never heard of this this base coach and former MLB player with the first name Rusty. Um, yep. And never the last had... name that rhymes with sacrifice bunts. <laughs> yep, it was a shock to to all of us, but uh, you know, in the in in the honor of names like Dick Pole for the Red Sox, um, you know, I, I was happy to know it. So, Keaton, how you doing, man? You're you're newly with us, back from the dead. You're you're a twenty four hour illness, but you're feeling better now. That's good. I am. I am feeling better. Thanks for holding it down. There was uh, was bummed to miss out on Ian, but uh, ended up making a trade with him in our fantasy league today to make up for it. So that's nice. There you go. Oh, nice. You go. Who'd you get? Uh, I got Dom Smith, um, who I, I'm still shocked that he's only 28, and uh, our, our our boy uh, uh, don't mess with the Drohan. Oh, nice, Shane Very Drohan. Good. Yeah. Okay. Well, we have a full show of Red Sox baseball for you today. No special guests, just the regular crew. But it's nice to get the guys all back together. Um, We're going to start off today's show with talking about Justin Turner, who drew the start at second base on Friday. Um, What did we think about that? I mean, Cora indicated that it might happen once a week. Um, Bob, we're going to go to you first. Do you like the move of moving Justin Turner to second base? Um, And do you think that he'll end up doing this a little bit more often? Yeah, I do. I think I was a little surprised they did in the first game coming out of the All-Star break. Um, You know, it seemed I don't know. I I just I didn't think that it was going to happen right away. It was a weird spot and I almost forgot about it. He had alluded to it maybe two or three weeks ago um, that he might do it here and there. And then they came right out of the break with that lineup and it went fine. You know, he played the position just fine and they got a win on Friday night. it's a way we've talked so much about the roster crunch and what they have a bunch of first baseman and outfielder and DH types. I don't think that they um, even would have considered it until a legitimate defensive shortstop was there, which is currently Yu Chang. And then, you know, eventually hopefully Trevor story gets back there. So I think that once they had, you know, one of the middle infielders as an above average defensive player that they were okay with doing that at second base. I'm fine with it once or twice a week. Um, any way that you can get Cassis and Turner in, um, all of the outfielders, you know, Duran, Yoshida, Verdugo, um, 
And I think it's a way to get Duvall in that mix as well, even though he is mired in a pretty lengthy slump right now. So, um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it to get an extra bat in the lineup. Keaton, how do you feel about it? I mean, I think the big beneficiary from this move is certainly Casas being able to be in there a little bit more often. And over this three-game set with the Chicago Cubs, he had a couple of home runs. I mean, he's been much better lately. Is it worth the defensive hit you might take there to to get Turner's bat and Casas' bat into the lineup at the same time? Yeah, uh, I think it is. Um, This was my... uh, my argument in our, our hotly contested Casas debate um, but between Bob and I, um, I think for Casas to kind of get where he needs to defensively, he needs the reps. And I don't think you want to start yanking him um, now while he's still developing. And plus the, the bat has been correcting itself, which is a big help. So you want to keep the bat in there. Um, so yeah, it works as long as it's not you know a massive disaster, which um, yeah, at least it's not so far. Uh, and it also does seem to be like a short-term solution. Um, I think I'm okay with it. Well, I mean, uh, it's not like Christian Arroyo has been stellar defensively. He's traditionally been pretty good defensively, but this year he's graded out like just slightly below average. Um, in, according to outs above average. So that coupled with not having a very good uh, offensive profile and then the fact that they've been willing to run out Kike Hernandez for the vast majority of the year, it feels like, you know, if you can get double double the offense in there, uh, it, I, I'm kind of for it. I think they should end up doing this a little bit more. But, you know, the, the infield being a mess is still the issue here. So Cora had a quote um about Kike playing shortstop for the Red Sox that, you know, got a lot of interest uh, on Twitter. So this is from uh, July 15th. He said, I can't say with confidence that we've really turned the page a month ago, that we've really turned a page a month ago, Cora said before Saturday's game. This is from Chris Smith of Mass Live. He's been playing really good shortstop for us for a month now. We move him around. I'm very confident with him playing short. Uh, he found a few things he was doing mechanically wise, and I think it's paying off. So we don't have any issue with him playing shortstop today. This was kind of a befuddling quote because um, I believe that, and you guys can correct me because I was vacationing while this was happening. But I believe that Kike promptly made an error. Um, the same game that he started at shortstop. Correct. Yeah, whether they marked it as that or not, I'm not sure. But there were two consecutive plays in the inning where Bellinger hit a grand slam where Kike could not come up with a ball in the hole at shortstop. And then there was a ground ball to Devers that he threw over the catcher's head, um, which also wasn't an error because he had stepped on third and was going for a double play, and you can't assume a double play. So Paxton ended up getting six earned runs, I think, in that inning, um, and they should have had three outs on those two plays. Yeah, I mean, come on, Cora. I don't understand what this is. It, it it felt like once Yu Chang came back finally that this Kike thing was going to be done. I don't really understand it, but what it does is it sets up a bit of a logjam 
um, for when Pablo Reyes is able to come back. And it's like, it's crazy to be talking about one player in Kike who's making 10 million bucks a year and a former first round pick in Arroyo. And then we're talking about Pablo Reyes causing a, a roster crunch here. But that's really the case with how poor this team has been performing defensively in the middle infield. So Keaton, when Pablo Reyes comes back, what do they do with this log jam of Kike and Arroyo and Reyes? I mean, who goes? They, they can't carry all three of these guys. No, and I, I thought it was interesting. Um, Cotillo's piece uh, in, in Mass Live kind of outlining potential scenarios here. Um, just because I assumed that um, both Arroyo and Hernandez would have been saved here, but um, given the state of the pitching, they're because they they're still working with only three starters. They're unlikely to go uh, any less than the thirteen starters that they have. Um, According to a source with uh, Catello, all five outfielders are safe. Uh, both catchers, Justin Turner, um, and the obvious infielders of Devers and Casas are safe. So then that just leaves uh, Chang, Reyes, Hernandez, and Arroyo uh, there for three spots. And uh, to be honest with you, if we're looking at those four, Kike Hernandez would probably be the odd man out. Right, because he has no spot in the infield, and they've got enough outfielders. So, you I mean ideally you would want to play him in the outfield, but there is no spot for him because they've got all of those positions covered, plus bench options. So, there's to me, kind of basically finally cutting uh, bait here with Hernandez feels like it's kind of reached its, its point. Yeah, this is a really interesting situation. Um, if it was me in charge of the team, I wouldn't let go of Kike. I would probably let go of Arroyo um, out of these guys. That's just my personal preference. I've never been impressed with Arroyo. Um, I don't think his bat is particularly good. He has durability concerns. Um, I'm not sure he fits the team super well, and especially with the Red Sox probably trying to trade one of either Kike or Duvall. I want to keep, like, one guy who can play outfield uh, there, and, you know, I'm not sure how attractive Kike is as a trade chip right now, um, you know, because of that salary. And we actually got a, a listener question about this from... Uh, the surfing guy, he said, I'm pretty sure Kike is not long for this team. Instead of a straight DFA, would someone pick up part of his salary if we included a mid-level prospect? Um, Bob, I'm curious what you think about that. And like, you know, feel free to answer the question of, you know, would somebody be interested in him uh, if we picked up some of the salary? You know, could a mid-level prospect come back? But also, like, what are your thoughts on, on this logjam as well? Like, are, are you feeling like Kike has to be the guy to go, or would it be someone else for you? Um, I actually, I kind of agree with what you're saying in that I don't think Kike is the one to go, because if you're looking at 
the second half of August and September and the stretch run for this team, Trevor Story is going to be the shortstop. So who do you want to have as a backup at second base and a backup in the outfield? You know, whether Kike is, you know, a short side platoon or something like that at second base, I'm not entirely sure. But he can play a decent second base and he can play a very good outfield. And I think Adam Duvall has been just as poor um, since coming back. And some of that might have to do with the injury. But, you know, I kept waiting for Kike to come around with the bat. And that has actually decreased. I mean, he hit 245 in March and April. Um, so he had a 716 OPS then. He had a 590 OPS in May. He had a 555 in June. And it's been 294 in July, hitting just 115, right? But if you look at Adam Duvall, he's, he has had a 548 OPS in June and a 670 OPS in July. He's at 167 and 185. So they've both been pretty putrid. Um, I think just with the versatility of Kike, he, he is making more than Duvall is making salary-wise. Um, and I just think he's kind of Cora's guy, especially with that quote. I mean, I, that's Cora defending his guy, showing confidence. Whether he believes that quote or not, you know, we can <laughs> is up for interpretation. But I, I think that Cora is going to want to keep him around as a backup at all of those positions. We have to remember that it is not really Hernandez's fault that he was put at this position. You know, he gave it a shot. It has been a failure. He was on pace for the most errors in several years at shortstop and they mainly had to get him out of there. But um, I don't know if it's not a trade that brings them in a second baseman or another need on the team. I do think that he might just be that backup super utility role in case there's an injury somewhere. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, issue that the team has. This whole thing gets me thinking, though, like, you know, because the the surfing guy here asked us about basically what the trade value for for a guy like Kike would be, um, especially if the Red Sox were willing to eat some of that salary. But I'm not sure what the trade value would be for Kike, Arroyo, or uh, Duvall at this point. Like, let me kick this back to you, Keaton. Out of those three guys, because I think Pablo Reyes probably has next to no trade value as well, um, considering the Red Sox got him for free. Um, you know, who who's the most valuable out of those guys to other teams, in your opinion? Is anybody even going to be interested in taking a slumping Adam Duvall or a slumping Kike? I mean, at least with Kike, you get the plus defense. Um, you know, with Arroyo, I'm not sure you get anything. No, yeah, I mean, it, it's Kike's defense and position versatility. I mean, not that you would put him at shortstop, but I mean, he can probably play second just fine. You know, he can play center field tremendously. So, yeah, it's it's the defense there um, plus the clubhouse presence, um, and you you know you hope that even though he's he's slumping, maybe just. Um, not being thrown into a position where he's constantly playing shortstop and, um, you know, he and the team are, are being questioned and asked about it. He can kind of maybe relax a little. Maybe that helps him at the plate some. Um, 
But just based on the defense alone, a contending team would probably add him for that in the hopes that um, used in a bench role or in pinch hitting scenarios as a defensive replacement um, that he could you know run into some hits there. I mean, you, I don't think you would get a lot in return. And, and if you did want something, you would have to pair him with something else like a, a mid-level prospect there. But um, I don't know. Really, I mean, no. I mean, Duvall, definitely not anything there. And um, Arroyo, yeah. I mean, you, you lay that out. It's not, not much there. Hernandez, definitely between those three. The head and shoulders. Yeah, I think so too. I think he has the most value with that versatility. And with that being the case, I think if it's up to Alex Cora, Kike is probably staying here. But I mean, Bob, is this really going to end up being up to Alex Cora at this point? Bloom is also fighting for his job in the same way that Alex Cora is. I know that Cora has been a, a defender of Kike, as you mentioned. You know, is this decision even going to end up being up to Cora, in your opinion? It might not. You would hope that he has some say um, in what's going on there. But, no, you're right. It, it could easily be something that they move on from. I think, um, I mean, the, the, there was just there was a quote about Reyes when, um, when they moved Hernandez off the position where he said something like, um, Pablo Reyes is not... I don't see him as an everyday shortstop. And that to me was just like, whoa, like this is the manager talking about the starting shortstop right now saying, I don't see him as an everyday shortstop, which, you know, I've kind of heard some other people mention that, that what is that? Is that a shot at somebody else? Is, um, you know, is that kind of something at bloom? Like we're moving my guy off the position to put someone here that I don't think is an everyday short. You just don't hear that often about players on the team. Um, at least on the record. Yeah, thanks so, for the confidence, coach. <laughs> that, that was just like, like I read that quote and I was like, wow, you know, that that's interesting for the guy that's currently your starting shortstop, um, even though we all know that. So I don't know. I, I just wonder if there's a little bit of uh, something behind the scenes in, in terms of that position in general this whole year. It's just had a weird feel to it. Do you think... That you know, and I'll leave this up to either of you guys to answer. But do you guys believe some of the murmurings out there in the ether that there are some tensions between Bloom and Cora? Maybe their relationship isn't quite as rosy as they like to say that it is whenever they're publicly asked about it. I don't know. I, I think that there's probably a lot of that in every organization. It's it's so hard to have any idea. I mean, I I only it's really just been that that kind of comment there that that raised an eyebrow for me. But there really hasn't been anything else that I can point to, and I'm not gonna stir up any shit that I don't know is going on. Stir the shit, yeah, Bob. Stir it. the shit. Come on, make a man. headline. Come up with you know some sort of. <laughs> I'm not just going to make up some hot take for you. I, I know you're trying to point me <laughs> in that not? direction. This is entertainment right here. I Keaton, you're going to make up some hot shit? I'd love to. I think they hate each other. 
And uh, if Cora doesn't get some players to win games and, and move some things up the standings, he's going to go scorched earth here over the last month and just start blaming everybody, throw it all out there on the line. You know, there's a um, a steel cage match at the TD Garden <laughs> on Wednesday night, uh, all elite wrestling, and I think that that one of the opening matches should be High and Bloom and Alex Cora. <laughs> Who would you take in that match? Um, I would take the professional athlete, <laughs> <laughs> the former professional athlete over the uh, the. <laughs> The academic, yes, probably true. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe, maybe Bloom has some some moves up his sleeve. Who knows? Could have maybe something. He'd hit him with a chair or something. Yeah. All right, let's move on from this silliness of the uh, infield. It's been a silly situation all year, to say the least. But uh, Richard Blyer, also a silly situation, uh, being activated from the uh, IL, um, but. Now the Red Sox have a very peculiar alignment in the bullpen of six left-handed pitchers and four right-handed pitchers. You heard that right. More lefties than righties. Um, And also, you heard it right. Yes, there are 10 relievers on this team. The reason why there's 10 relievers, as you know, is because there's only three starting pitchers healthy at this point. And Cora has said that, you know, he kind of considers Pavetta a bit of a starter, even though he's not really a starter because he's going in a bulk role and Murphy's been used in that bulk role as well. But anyway, this whole alignment is strange. Keaton, you you brought this up. Is this a problem, in your opinion, to have such a strange alignment in the bullpen? Um, you know, what, what do you make of this situation? You were the one who kind of brought it to my attention. Yeah, I... So I don't think... It's a problem because so my general philosophy with bullpens in general um, is just get the best arms that you can um, and just kind of go from there. And I think right now this is the best they can assemble. And this just happens to be the mix that they have. So it is certainly... I just found it weird because I just never expected. I mean, how many times over the last, I don't know, like two, three years have we been talking about the Red Sox need to find a lefty? And now they've got an absurd amount of lefties. It's just kind of funny to see it kind of swing this way all of a sudden, kind of out of How many do you trust? Oh, uh, that's a great question, Bob. Um, I didn't say it was an extremely talented bunch. I just said this is the best that they can put together right now. (laughs) So um, not a whole lot of them. But, I mean, I I was going to say I don't expect them to get like a ton of use, but that's not true because they only have three starters. They're going to get a ton of use. Just hopefully, I guess it's not in high leverage. But I don't know. Yeah, I get. I mean, it is. It's weird. It's just kind of weird, just how the the ratio is shaking out, and just particularly because they seem to have been like unable to find lefties for so long, and then just kind of it popped out of nowhere that they've just all of a sudden got six. So that's crazy. It was, it was weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, they have six lefties, but as Bob said, I mean, like Jolie and Blyer have been awful. Walter yeah. is 
probably not a major league caliber player at this particular point. You know, he hasn't been very impressive. Murphy's been pretty solid. Joe Jicks has been pretty good. Bernardino's been awesome. Um, but yeah, there's not like a, a ton of attractive uh, players here. Bob, I want to ask you about this part. Uh, you've been monitoring this really closely, but you know, how are the Red Sox going to continue to navigate this stretch with the three starting pitchers? You kind of laid out how you thought it was going to go. Um, but could you kind of lay out how you think it's going to play out over the next couple of series? Yeah. And so, as you mentioned with Pavetta, like I consider Pavetta their fourth starter because in the last few games, he's really started to pitch more like the starter's workload. You know, he threw five innings last time out. He threw uh, three and a third and four innings the two times before that. And one of those, it rained in the middle of it. And I think he was going to go longer. So I feel like they've built him back up to be a four or five inning quasi starter. Um, But it's crazy. Like, you know, I went on for about 10 minutes earlier in the year when I thought they should move him out of the rotation. And then since he's gone to the bullpen, if you just isolate from May 28th on, which is almost two months, they've got a 123 batting average against Nick Pavetta when he's coming out of the bullpen in his last 12 outings, 0.93 whip. Um, And, and you know, if you just look at ERA, that's 2.28. So if it's not broke, don't fix it. Keep throwing him out of the bullpen, and I guess just use an opener. I'm normally anti-opener, but whatever. This is working, so that's fine. Um, so he's kind of the fourth guy, and then they'll go bullpen on Tuesday, and then I really don't think that they need to go with a bullpen game again. Um, you know, I mentioned it two weeks ago, but they have an off day on Thursday. They have two off days next week. And they can just go Bayo, Paxton, Crawford, Pivetta with the opener for the next two weeks um, because of the three off days. So I think that Tuesday's game against Oakland is the only time that they have to do a full bullpen game. And they've been making a roster move every day. They've just been throwing someone for two or three innings. It was Jake Faria who was doing his best to blow an 11-0 lead yesterday and threw over 60 pitches and was promptly designated for assignment. Um, they'll probably keep churning that spot and, um, with, uh, what is it? Schreiber is coming off of the IL soon. So I think that this is temporary having the six lefties. I think the whole construction of the, the 13 pitchers is temporary. Um, you know, as you mentioned, they got Blyer back, which he might just be part of that group of someone that ends up getting designated for assignment when everybody is healthy. Um, but I do agree. I think that Bernardino needs to be part of that very small circle of trust that they have right now in the bullpen. I mean, he's just, he's been very good and they're going to go with him as the opener again today. Um, so yeah, but I don't know. I mean, I think Joe Ellie could get there and a couple of the, you know, Jake's and Murphy have been fine. But I don't know. I trust about one and a half out of this group. When you say circle of trust, it immediately makes me think of the quote, I have nipples, Greg. Can you milk me? (laughs) Uh, But anyhow, yes. So it's a weird pitching situation. But one of the things that you didn't mention, Bob, that I wanted to kind of bring up here is, you know, Garrett Whitlock is apparently doing pretty well. And he might be working his way back into this equation in the next two weeks. So if he comes up and then, you know, Pavetta moves essentially to that, you know, 
quote-unquote like fifth starter's role instead of being the fourth starter like you mentioned, then things start to get like pretty normal again. And it looks yeah. good. And then is Tanner Helk a week or two be behind that and Chris Sale a week or two behind that as well? Um, you know, they'll have two other injuries that happen in the meantime. This is what we've said the whole year. You know, you look at right. these seven names and how do they, you know, it's all going to work itself out. And sometimes you end up having three when when you have a group like this. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I, I think that I still think they should trade for somebody to, you know, take a couple of these games here in this stretch. And I can't believe that they haven't done anything about it. Uh, really just kind of blows my mind. All right, moving on to our next topic here. Um, let's check on where my favorite Red Sox player, Masataka Yoshida, fits into the AL Rookie of the Year chase, an award that he most certainly wants no part of. Um, Yoshida had three hits and six RBIs by way of a grand slam and a two-run triple. Uh, on Sunday, he has multi-hit games in nine of his last ten. In those 10 games, he's 20 for 43 with three home runs, 11 RBIs, 10 runs, three stolen bases, hitting 465, 477, 667, or 767. And he's up to 317 on the year, 140 WRC+. Yoshida now has the same odds as Josh Jung to win the AL Rookie of the Year. Uh, Gunnar Henderson, who is a, you know, a pretty... Uh, high pick to to win this award preseason is third. Um, let's go to you first, Keaton. What do, what do you think the odds are of Yoshida coming home with some hardware that he certainly almost doesn't want? Uh, yeah, I mean, I th- I would love it, considering the uh, the number of uh, was it league executives or rival execs who uh, said this was terrible and what a trash signing. Uh, I would love for it to be capped with a rookie of the year. That'd be fantastic. Uh, I was pumped for the signing. Um, in particular, this, I mean, the Red Sox needed an outfielder. They went out and got their guy. I don't really care what the cost was. Um, a 140 WRC plus is tremendous. Doesn't strike out. It's walking all the time. It's just, getting on base all the time. I love it. Absolutely love it. It's a ton of fun. Love it. Every time he's out there lifting weights, uh, Grand Slam over the weekend was awesome. He's just a fun baseball player to watch, and he's one of those guys that like you feel good about watching him play baseball for your team. So I would love it because I feel like he deserves it. So I would feel good about it. I think it's – it's funny that, yeah, uh, that there's no interest in it, which is like individual awards, sure, whatever. I feel like a lot of the guys were like, yeah, I'm not really interested in it. But um, I think it would be nice to reward him for a fine season and uh, stick it to everybody who had an immediate reaction of absolutely hating it, and thinking it was the worst thing ever, and particularly all those other, air quotes, rival execs who were baffled by the move yeah it's interesting a lot of people forgot that narrative because i mentioned it in an article earlier this year and everybody was like what what are you talking about who was upset about this deal and everybody uh, yeah it was like pretty much universally derided so yeah the well, he fact was getting that, s- just destroyed for days after that yeah i i just 
Like I interviewed twenty rival GMs who all think this is this guy's a moron. It doesn't make any sense. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm I'm happy that it worked out. But I wanted to ask you, Bob, about Josh Jung um, because he's been playing really good third base for a first place team um, right now. I would say probably, especially since he is sort of a true rookie. Um, that he probably has the upper hand in this, especially with the success that the Rangers are having. What do you think between the two? Because I think Yoshida is probably having a better offensive season, but Jung plays defense, uh, you know, pretty well, and and is certainly a young guy. So, who who's got the upper hand in your opinion? Yeah, I think that Yoshida needs to be like twenty five percent better than Young to get the award. Because, I mean, Yoshida turned 30 this week, um, has said that he's not interested in the award. So I think that there will be people that will be like, all right, well, you know, we'll, we'll actually listen to that. And, you know, Kurt Schilling said, I, I don't want to be in the Hall of Fame. Take me off your ballot. So people said, okay, screw him. We'll take him off the ballot. Um, I wonder if there'll be a little bit of that. I wonder if there'll be some people that are kind of hesitant to vote for him being a rookie in general, even separate from that. So, as you said, you know, Young being the better defensive player, um, you know, he's got a 124 WRC plus, but he has 19 homers and 58 RBI and 62 runs. Of course, every guy in the Rangers lineup just has video game counting stats across the board. Um, so I think that Young probably has the edge right now, regardless of what the odds say. Um, but I mean, just the way Yoshida is playing, this is crazy. Nine out of 10 multi-hit games he's just using all fields uh the way that he hits the ball the other way is just fascinating with an you know just such a smooth swing um i think eaton had it all kind of summed up it's just this has been so much fun to watch um and just taking over games on so many occasions this year um getting big hits you know the big hit before the break um to win that game by a run there's just there's which was like uh, at basically his chest line too right yeah went out and got it he just he he does um just just the command of the of the bat that he has is just fascinating to watch regardless of where the pitch is thrown um so yeah i mean you guys were were spot on about that i was certainly skeptical um and he's just is so much fun to watch on a day-to-day basis. Well, he was one of my two A pluses that I gave out when I did my midseason grades. So definitely very happy with Yoshida's performance. One of the other A pluses I gave out was to Brian Bayo, uh, who was instrumental this weekend in taking two of three from the Cubs. Both Bayo and Crawford uh, dominated. However, Paxton was blown up for those six runs. But as you mentioned before, a lot of that was on the defense behind him. But I think the bigger question here is the elephant in the room about James Paxton. Whether or not James Paxton is traded um, as we approach this trade deadline basically says a lot about the direction of the team for this year. If if he's traded, it's clear that they're not trying to make the playoffs. If he's not traded, um, you know, then that means they're trying to go for it. Um, And Dan Secatore, our editor, um, wrote a great article kind of outlining that and all of those reasons why. And we got a couple questions about it too. We got a question from TJ McPhee, um, which he actually asked us uh, a couple weeks ago. 
Um, he says, what are the chances the Red Sox are able to get a top 100 prospect for Paxton at the deadline? And then Patty O'D had another one for us. He had two questions, but the first of his is, this team has to be selling at the deadline, right? There's no way this team has a run like the 06 Cardinals or the 21 Braves. Uh, they don't have anywhere near that talent. So what sort of return do you think that they'd get for Paxton in this market? And to be fair to Patty O'D, this was eight days ago that he asked us this question. So they have actually had a little bit of a run since then. Um, and they're making this more interesting. So let's start off with you, Keaton. What do you think that the Red Sox will ultimately do with Paxton? Because I think as Dan smartly outlined in his article today, I'm sure Heim Bloom thinks that uh, going out there and getting a top 100 prospect for Paxton at the deadline is probably better for the future of this team. But at the same time, like the team is playing well enough that it's a pretty hard sell to the fans to justify going out there and trading, you know, your best starting pitcher when you only have three healthy starting pitchers. So I think we were, I, I will, before you answer the question, I would think we are all three in agreement that Paxton would net a top 100 prospect oh, yeah. at this point, um, yeah. especially with the sheer amount of um, quote unquote contenders right now. But what are the chances, in your opinion, that he's actually dealt Keaton? So, yeah, th this is the interesting part because they are they're two games out of a wild card. They are tied for last in the division, um, but we, we don't really pay pay attention to that. It's just kind of paying attention to the wild card. They're two games behind Houston for that last spot, but. Um, they're three games behind Toronto, so they're very much there for basically two spots within the playoff picture. But what has me completely confused and have no idea what they're going to do is every single time we approach the trade deadline and we're like, are they going to be buyers or are they going to be sellers? And you ask Bloom, and it's like, we're going to be both because we're going to be buyers and sellers, and we're going to be, we're going to win now and plan for the future. And if that's the case, then they, they can't move Paxton if he would have to be part of that winning now, half of that equation. Um, but there's no doubt that he would net the best return. And he's not going to return to the team after this year. So he is the most confusing predicament there. But I have to think if you, you end up trading him, you're not doing this half-ass like buying and selling thing. You're just straight up selling. I think you have to at that point. If you go out and sell Paxton... There's no possible way you can spin it as like we're, we're both adding and subtracting to this team and in the net we're going to come out positive for this year. I mean, the, this is the thing that's so interesting about this situation is because right. Paxton is making $4 million this year, I mean, that amount is going to be prorated to like $1.5 by the time whatever team picks him up. So literally every team can fit him 
under their payroll, uh, even, you know, some of the smaller market teams. So, you know, the, the bidding for a guy like Paxton could end up getting quite ridiculous to the point where I don't know if Heim Bloom's going to be able to help himself from uh, making a deal here. And especially with Paxton's injury history, like, I almost think that <laughs> it's it's such a weird situation because, like, I, I would almost think that Heim Bloom is, like, almost hoping for the Red Sox to go in some sort of a slump to make this decision easier for him so he can lose his job but exactly that's the (laughs) the exact other side of it it's like he's up against or he's a rock in a hard place for him like he wants to extract value but at the same time he still wants to be employed so how do you see this thing working out bob yeah i i just don't i don't see it happening i totally i understand the point of it but it's just like what is the point of even trying to put a competitive team on the field and going this far if you're just going to sell when you're a game or two out of the wild card? I mean, he's going to wait because he always waits. He's going to wait till August 1st, an hour before the trade deadline, or, you know, just look at where they're at in the standings. And if it's, I don't know, four games or more, then maybe he ends up dealing Paxton. And if it's less than that, then make some moves the other way because... It just, I get the feeling that he wants to wait till the last minute because this is not cut and dry yet. And because of, you know, what's on the other end of of that. I mean, there is another option, which is to offer some sort of extension to Paxton for a couple of years. Um, You know, I I don't, I don't think you would have to give more than than a two year deal at the age and the injury history that Paxton has. So that that's the other option as well. If it's like, if if they're going to keep him and all right, we, we don't get that return and he's going to walk at the end of the year you could also offer him an extension like they did with ref snyder and um you know kike hernandez early on last year i mean you know that's an option as well i i just don't see how like you know that there are more fans in the park right now it's a pretty good vibe in the stadium this is year four of this rebuild um i know some people think that that 2021 was a great success but they also were like a game away from missing the playoffs and since they made the bets trade and as you said dan outlined this really well in the article and just this kind of long process of what they're trying to accomplish to get the minor leagues built back up and eventually be a contender but you just you can't go this far with the season and finally have trevor story chris sale tanner hauk garrett whitlock all these guys coming back in august and then you're going to sell Paxton. I mean, they're good. they would get absolutely killed for that, and people would lose their jobs. So I don't think it's happening unless they plummet back to 500, which, of course, is possible. I'm telling you, you know what's going to happen? Red Sox are going to play well enough all the way towards the, uh, the trade deadline to justify keeping Paxton. And then as soon as the trade deadline passes, they're going to go into a huge slump and Paxton's going to get injured and then walk in the <laughs> offseason. And everybody around here is just going to be furious and second-guessing the decision. Do you think that, that they have like that major league, um, like from the movie Major League with the ownership there and um, where they were rooting for them to lose and then in the clubhouse they've got like the cardboard cutout and all of that? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, maybe. Well, it's going to be the most interesting thing to watch here down the stretch for sure. So, yeah, we'll see what happens with this. 
Um, but the last question and the way that we're going to end the show, I want to do a little bit of a draft here, guys. Um, we're just going to kind of go around and we're each going to give uh, one of our biggest surprises from the year and one of our biggest disappointment disappointments. This was Patty O'Dea's second question. So let's start with you, Bob. Uh, who was your biggest surprise of the season? Um, in a positive way. Biggest surprise in a positive way. I mean, we're just going to roll it forward. It's James Paxton because I had zero expectations. Um, he had not thrown significant innings since 2019. He'd come into the season throwing 21 innings since 2019. Uh, he was injured again in spring training after um, delivering nothing with that contract a year ago. I was surprised that he opted in at $4 million. And I'm surprised that he is throwing 100-plus pitches every six days with a 3.51 ERA and kind of anchoring a staff that needed him very badly after Chris Sale went down. So since my expectations were zero, I would say James Paxton is my my biggest surprise. Okay, that's a good one. Uh, However, it is not the most obvious surprise in my opinion. Keaton, let's go to you. Let's see if you can get the most obvious surprise. Um, Paxton was the most obvious one for me. Um, cause I think same, I know same, where you're going, Jake. Same yep. thing with, uh, Bob. Is it Jaron Duran for you? It is Jaron Duran for me. That would have been my well, second see, one. See, I, uh, was not, not surprised with Jaron Duran. Um, and I, I know I've mentioned it before, but, um, because I wrote one of the uh, what um, what do we used to call them? The uh, it's the one big question articles on Duran. Um, yeah. and at every level, he was able to figure it out with the bat. I mean, I know. So, so I mean, maybe like some of the rules kind of egged it along there, but. With enough at-bats, he was able to figure out the pitching at every single level along the way. There was an adjustment period, but eventually, given the at-bats, he was able to figure it out. Um, my only kind of question there with Duran was, were the Red Sox actually going to give him a chance to take his time and get the at-bats that he needed? Um, and then, given the circumstances with um, Duval, he was, because... There was basically had there was nothing stopping him because they needed him to get to get the at bats and he came up and obviously was was on fire was able to figure it out and um, has been great so I, I thought given the chance for everyday playing time that um, he was able he was going to be able to be an everyday major leaguer so that w- that didn't surprise me but with Paxton 100 percent agree with Bob I was expecting absolutely nothing and we're getting like Cy Young quality performance out of him. So that's a hundred percent the the biggest surprise in a positive way for me. Well, let me tell you why I think it's Jaron Duran here, and I don't think it's particularly close, is because if we look at Jaron Duran's history here with the team, I mean seventh round selection in twenty eighteen, you know, not a high pick. Obviously, there was a lot of weird 
batted ball stuff going on with him in college because he played for a coach who basically wanted him to be a slap hitter and not work on power. So we all know about that transformation. But then, I mean, he literally came up to the big leagues and was about as bad as you can be in basically every area of the game. He was striking out too much. He kept changing his swing whenever he would get sent back down. Um, he wasn't hustling. He was a abominable defender. I mean, it, it defender, it just didn't make sense um, to, to think that a guy who was like, you know, not a super high draft pick and who had struggled so much. And also a guy who's, you know, he's about to be 27 years old. It's not like he's a super duper young prospect at this point. I have seen so many prospects fail over the time that I've been watching baseball and paying attention to prospects that like for all of these things to change for him was basically remarkable. Like usually with a prospect, you see like, okay, maybe he figures out the defense part of it, but the offense still takes a while. I don't think you really ever see a guy come up and do what Jaron Duran has done, where he adapts offensively, his attitude changes, and he becomes a like stellar defensive player all in the same area. Like I've never seen this happen before in in my life. Yeah, I I don't... If you just bring the um, the minimum down a little bit, because Durant will get there eventually. He'll have 502 plate appearances and qualify for all these things. He's third in the American League in batting average behind Corey Seager and Yandy Diaz. He's third in the league in doubles, and he started like 58 games this year. He's on a ridiculous pace. Um, and I think to your point, like this is a surprising transformation, but... Yeah, he's playing mostly against righties because they bring Ref Snyder in when there's a lefty, but it's just, he's going to end up, if he qualifies for these things, he's going to be at the top of the league in a shocking amount of categories. Um, and he's if, definitely he going to lead the here. league in doubles, too. Right. Yeah, yeah, I think he's two away. Yeah, he's two <laughs> away from doing that right now, despite the limited playing time, and basically gets a double off of anything that would be a long single for anybody else. Right. So, yeah, it's it's awesome to watch. Um, I, I can't believe it. But I before we move on to our disappointments, I want to just throw a shout out to uh, Brennan Bernardino for also being a huge surprise. 2.43 ERA, 31 strikeouts, 8 walks um, as a guy who, you know, did not even probably expect to be playing Major League Baseball this year. So that's just... That's my favorite story on the team at this point. I like it. Yeah. All right, Keaton, biggest disappointment. Who's your biggest disappointment? Well, you know, I don't want to say Kike Hernandez because I feel like he's thrown into a position where he is uh, being asked to do something that he shouldn't. Um. And I, so I don't put that on him. Um, what was the, the, the wording of the question? Just biggest surprise and biggest disappointment? Yeah. Well, I don't say the biggest disappointment was not getting uh, a, a middle infielder in the offseason. I'm not going to actually uh, put on a player, any one particular player. So I guess I'm going to put that on, on the front office and say, 
the biggest disappointment was not getting a better middle infielder coming into the season because we all saw that there was a hole there and it just it wasn't filled. And who's in charge of the front office? Can you remind me again? Uh, you are, Jake. It's your fault. <laughs> yeah, I would have gotten an infielder. Um, <laughs> yes, this is not one of that. Mr. Or, or actually, let me be series. more specific. Like, uh, priority. Like, sure. Uh, off season can be weird. The team can outbid you. Priorities can change, shift. Sure. But a month into the season, when you realize, hey, maybe we should do something about this, and you don't, and now it's July, and you still haven't done anything, and it's still a problem, that's the biggest disappointment to me, that they've let it go on for as long as they have. That's the biggest disappointment. Why didn't any of us bring this up previously? Yeah, of course. You know, no one one in this show has been talking about this for months on end. Yeah. So I think Uh, it's our fault. That's a good one, Keaton. So, what what is yours, Bob? Um, I kind of what Keaton said in that this person. Um, I, I think the decision was poor in the first place, but then the performance was terrible. So, uh, Corey Kluber would be my answer, and yeah, his uh, yeah. seven point zero four ERA, um, three point four four walks per nine, two point eight home runs per nine. Is that for real? Holy shit, that's terrible. Um, <laughs> he was just one of the worst pitchers I've ever seen in a Boston Red Sox uniform, making $10 million. Couldn't pitch in the rotation, couldn't pitch in the bullpen. Uh, he may or may not be hurt, but he's on the IL now. And um, just a poor decision to bring him in when they wanted to go out and get a number two starter this offseason. Um, so I, I am not shocked, but... It's my biggest disappointment. All right. Well, you guys took, you know, pretty much the two most obvious ones. Um, So I'm going to have to go with Reese McGuire as my uh, biggest disappointment. He had a pretty decent season last year. um, But so far in 2023, he hasn't jacked a single home run. (laughs) And uh, whenever he, you know, he cranks one, it's usually not for extra bases. So um, this is just a, a player who overall disappoints me, and uh, guys have been just running all over him too. So it's just um, overall just not a not a huge plus. I don't understand any of these jokes, Jake. Oh yeah, it's <laughs> very strange. Um, all right, well I think that's probably a great spot well, to end the show i have some breaking news do you mind if i cut in here yeah go um, ahead oh god yes, chris please. catillo give, give me the update yeah um he said from what he's heard uh adalberto Montesi is still shut down from baseball activities but he has not yet been ruled out for the season um and then writes obviously the clock is ticking so um Damn it, i really thought this was the week man <laughs> there's still some hope it sounds like uh he has not been ruled out for the season so you know i know we're all we're all pulling for that to work out this year. Adalberto Ripken Mondesi not returning anytime soon. Well, uh, our listeners, that's our show today. A little bit of a shorter one than usual, but we appreciate you guys tuning in. We'll be with you again next week. You can find all of us on Twitter. You can find 
Bob at Bob Osgood 15. You can find Keaton at the Spoken Keats. You can find me at Dev Jake. And uh, uh, did I leave anything else out, boys? Anybody writing anything good they want to plug right now? Nope. No. All right. No, we're good. We'll see you again next week. Bye, see everybody. You, Rusty.